All right. What's up, church family? Good to see you. Everybody doing well? Good, good. All right. Come on, 1115 crowd. Where you at? You awake? I like it. Come on now. Good to see you. Good to see you. If I haven't met you, my name's James. I'm the pastor here. Might have some visitors in the house. So glad you guys came to hang out with us. Uh, we know coming into a new church can be a little intimidating, uh, but we're glad you're here. Uh, hope you're enjoying your experience so far. Uh, this is Palm Sunday, Palm Sunday, and so a lot of you, you don't know what even that means, and that's okay. Uh, but in the Word, there was a point when Jesus was coming in uh, to the city, and it can be referred to as a triumphal entry, where people were celebrating who he was going to be as the Messiah. Now, the Israelites at that point, they, they thought he was going to be a different kind of savior than he was actually going to be. They, they really had their minds kind of set around this temporary fix of him overthrowing the Roman government and, and coming and setting up a new kingdom. And really what he was interested in was a lot bigger than that. And that was the eternal position of their souls, coming and sacrificing himself to give hope. I think it's important that we all understand the hope that we have in Jesus. Uh, if you don't have that, I want you to know that it's available to you to here today, and you'll have an opportunity to receive that before we leave today. But when you believe in Jesus, man, it gives you something that, that nothing can take away. I was thinking about that this morning. I, I've got my phone set up to get news alerts from different news stations and stuff. And when I woke up this morning and was starting to pray and kind of get ready for the day, I noticed uh, this alert on my phone that said that there had been some bombings in Egypt where some bombs were set off by terrorists and the, uh, over 30 people were killed at, at least two different locations. I haven't checked it since then. It might be more than that. And, and terrorists are, are taking credit for it. And, and, uh, and this, is, this is why the hope of Jesus is so important. And this is what, uh, what no terrorists can understand. And, and, we, and we would want them to understand this. And that is that when you believe in Jesus, it doesn't matter what you do. You can't steal the hope that is inside of us. It doesn't matter what you do. You can't take away the hope that comes from Jesus. And for those people, losing lives is so tragic. But when you understand who Jesus is, you understand that the worst thing that could ever happen to you is the best thing that could ever happen to you. Because losing your life means you just get to go and be in the presence of God. And that's a hope that we have in Jesus that nothing can take away, no matter what the situation or circumstance is, amen? So we're thankful to have that hope. But I, I, I was thinking about the church in America, though. Because here's what I'm completely convinced of. I guarantee you the people that are in those churches, next week they're going to be back in church. They're going to be back in church. Because they're, man, it's a life or death thing. They, they wake up every day willing to lay down their lives for what they believe in. Sometimes we wake up, we got a little scratch in our throat, like, <laughs> I don't think we can go to church today. But when you understand the true hope of Jesus Christ, man, it's something you treasure. It's something you pursue. It gives you a goal in life. I, I started assistant coaching two of my kids' soccer teams. <laughs> and coaching is a loose term when it comes to this age group <laughs> and playing soccer because there's not really a whole lot of instruction you can't give them, you know. But, but one of the things we do before each game, especially with the little ones, uh, is, is you got to make sure they know what direction they're going. So as you're standing out there, well, you know, what, where's your goal? Point to your goal. Point to your goal. Everybody will point. 
You do that six, seven, eight times. You just keep, where'd you go? Where are you going? What direction are you going? Because that's really all that they can do. They're not worrying about any other kind of skill set. Just get the ball that way. Go towards that goal. But it doesn't matter how many times you point it out. Sure enough, as soon as the game starts, one of those kids is going to start kicking it towards the other goal, not their goal. I think it's important from time to time in life that we remember what direction our goal is. That we stop for a second and say, where's the goal? Where is the goal? Don't forget where, everybody point to the goal. Everybody know where the goal is. Where's the goal? Because it is not usually around the things that sometimes we are pointing our lives at. And so the goal is people have to know the hope. Because if you say you have the hope of Jesus Christ, but nobody ever knows about the hope that you have in Jesus Christ, then maybe you really haven't experienced the hope of Jesus Christ yet. Next weekend, you have an opportunity. And I talked a long time about this last week, and so I'm not going to spend as much time. But you have an opportunity. Because the stats would say that one in four Americans, if given a personal private invite to come to church at Easter, not it's different any other time of the year, the stats change. But during Easter, one in four people would come to church on Easter. If they're not involved in a different church, they would come to church at Easter if they were given a personal invite. Now, I would suggest that in the Bible Belt, those stats are a little bit different. I would guess it's probably one in three, maybe one in two if they just received that invite, if somebody would be willing to step out of their comfort zone and come and invite them. So last week I said, get out these invites. We got some more on the chairs around you. Get out one of these invites and on the back of the bigger portion, I want you to write some names of people you're gonna be praying about to invite to come to church at Easter where we're gonna bump it up a level because I wanna make a promise to you. I wanna make a covenant with you about this effort, about the goal, about what we're aiming at, what we're pointing at. And that is today. Everybody should have one of these in your seat. Take this out. Put it up in the air. Wave it around like you just don't care. What, what, what? Okay. Uh, what, you, what I want you to do is during this service, during this service, maybe the same names that you wrote on the card last week or maybe a new name, a different name, uh, maybe just a first name. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is, but I want you to write down those names the people that you're praying about, but you're not just praying about it, you're working on a strategy to go and invite them to come to Easter, to come to church. At the end of the service, we're gonna, we're gonna collect all these, we're gonna collect them, and what my promise is to you is that I'm gonna take every one of those cards and every one of those names, and I'm gonna pray over them and believe and agree with you that those people are gonna come to church. And that for every one of them that doesn't know the Lord, that they will find Jesus for the first time and experience the hope that we have in him. And that they wouldn't just stop there, but the weekend after that, that they will come back and they will go public with their decision to follow Jesus through water baptism because that's what we're doing the weekend after that. Because that is the goal. The goal is for every person to know that the cross is empty, that Jesus rose from the grave because he paid the price for their sins. We need to remember that goal. Because if we don't remember that, we're not pointing people towards it. We're forgetting about the hope because here's the thing. What Jesus is really concerned with is souls. That's what Jesus really cares about. This is what it says in Ephesians 5.2. Be full of love, following the example of Christ who loved you and gave himself to God as a sacrifice to take away your sins. Look, I don't believe you can truly be full of love if you're not about the things that Jesus is about. 
if you're not really putting the priority on what Jesus puts the priority on, and the priority of Jesus' heart is souls. And here's the thing. Jesus loves everyone. Everyone. The most quoted verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, that's everyone on the planet, like the whole world. So Jesus loves the people you don't like. Jesus loves the people you think you hate. Although you better be careful because if you say you hate somebody, you need to re-examine your relationship with Jesus. But Jesus loves the people that even you don't like. How many of you can think of somebody you don't like? Raise your hand. Raise both hands. Let's just surrender it right now to Jesus. God, we just give them to you right now. How many of you are married to somebody? Never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind, never mind. No, 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 no. If you raise your hand, I also want to tell you about re-engage. It's our marriage ministry. I enjoy it. You should probably look into that. Jesus loves the people we don't like. By the way, Jesus loves the terrorists that did those bombings. And he loves them equally to the people that lost their lives in the bombings. Jesus loved the Pharisees. And he loved them just as much as he loved anyone else that he was reaching. Jesus loves the people that don't agree with you. Jesus loves Republicans and Jesus loves Democrats. Yes, I'm positive. Or any other affiliation, libertarian, whatever. Vegans. Jesus loves vegans. Because <laughs> we all know that's a political stance. <laughs> Jesus loves the people that are completely confused about life. People that are completely confused about what's really important. Jesus loves them. Jesus loves the people that all of a sudden become military experts anytime they do see anything of military action and get on Facebook and post about it. Jesus loves the people that find themselves as political analysts all of a sudden and get on Facebook and post about Jesus loves everyone. We need to be about the goal, and that is reaching souls. Today we're going to talk about two sacraments, and I love this because the sacraments are cool. As a church, we don't always necessarily get to talk about them or don't spend the time. We're going we're gonna to talk about one, we're going to do the other. One of the sacraments we're going to do is we're going to take communion together today. And I love taking communion as a church family. But we're going to talk about water baptism. And this is important because in two weeks, people are going to have an opportunity. And so this is information for you, but it's also so you can be equipped with some knowledge in case everybody, anybody ever asks you about what it means to be water baptized. Because in Jesus' name, you're going to bring a friend, and they're going to get saved, and then they're going to be asking you, what about water baptism? And you're going to take out your notes and be like, I paid really good attention in church a couple weeks ago. Let me tell you about this. It's going to be a good time for you. The first thing is this. Baptism is a picture of moving from slavery to freedom. God loves to give an outward sign of an inward commitment of covenant. He loves to do that. Throughout the word of God, he did it. With Noah, he gave him the promise that he would never destroy the earth again by water through the flood, by giving him a rainbow, this symbol, this covenant, this deep, the strongest relational promise you can make is a covenant. He gave him that rainbow to promise he would never destroy the earth again with a flood. And then many years down the road, he gave this covenant to Abraham. Abraham was 100 years old. His wife was 90. And he came to him and said, I know you guys thought you were done with life, but it's time to go to Babies R Us. You're going to have a child, and I'm going to establish a covenant through you. 100 years old. And he said, the sign and the symbol of this covenant is going to be circumcision. Now, you got to believe Abraham is like, but God, Noah got a rainbow. Come on, hook a brother up. I mean, this ain't fair. 
But he gave him that sign. Water baptism is the sign and the symbol of the covenant that Jesus gave us as Christ followers. So it's incredibly important. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1, it says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that our fathers were under the cloud and passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So what this is basically saying is, when, when God set his people free from Egypt, released them from slavery, he miraculously let them walk across dry land through the Red Sea, split the sea. They crossed to the other side, and then the ocean collapsed behind them, and there was a lot of death that was in that place because God destroyed almost the entire army of the Pharaoh. Now this is, is a symbol, and this is just what it's like for us as Christ followers through the covenant of baptism because it's us leaving the life of slavery it's us leaving the life of the things that bound us up, the things that kept us in track, those habitual sins, those addictions, all those types of things. And it's us stepping into the new plan and promise that God has for us, just like he did with the Israelites. But it means the old life has to die. The old life has to die. It's us stepping into this. I've seen people set free in water baptism, and there's nothing special or magical about the water. It's Cabot tap water. But there is something supernatural when someone makes a physical act of faith to be obedient to something. And I have seen people set free from addiction, set free from perversion, set free from habitual sins that they've had their whole lives through the act of baptism because they finally made the decision, my identity is in Christ and I publicly want everyone to know that I am allowing my old sin, my old life to be dead and buried in Jesus. Water baptism is also a watery grave. And some of you are like, well, that's a little bit intense. And some of you, you're very nervous about the idea of even going underwater. And I just want to reassure you, we have never drowned anybody while baptizing them here at New Life Church. It may happen someday, but we haven't done it yet. We're, we're good. But we did have a pastor one time. It was the first time we was baptizing people, so he was nervous. But there's a little bit of a procedure that you kind of want to try to go through, right? And, and if you have time, you want to try to pray for the person. And then before you baptize them, we, we want to say something over them. We'll, we'll, we'll talk more about this in a little bit. But you say that we baptize you in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, in the powerful name of Jesus. Well, this pastor knew all this. He just got the order mixed up. Because you're supposed to pray and say those things before you put them under. The problem was he put them under and then prayed. <laughs> so a nice little prayer and then said, and we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right about that time, he felt the struggle under the water. <laughs> Brought him up. The guy was like, oh! <laughs> really looked like the Holy Spirit got a hold of him. <laughs> Just, <you know. laughs> but that was an accident. There have been other times when we've held some people down a little bit longer, but that's because we felt like they had some things to think about. <laughs> we have a lot of wives ask us to hold their husbands under a little longer. I don't know what that's about, but it does happen quite a bit. There's this verse, this passage of Scripture, I think, that talks about what baptism really means. Um, the old part of us dying, going into that watery grave. In Romans 6, chapter Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. 
We are those that have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism, the watery grave, going under the water, through baptism, into death, in order that just as Christ raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life when you come out of that water. For if we have been united with him in death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, another translation, when it talks about, for we know that our old self was crucified, another translation says that the old man has died. That's what another translation says. An old, your old person, your old man has died. And at one point, one of the pastors, he was trying to get this scripture in there while he was baptizing somebody. So he thought he had it memorized and everything was going good. He was going to say, you know, the old, and the old man has, been, has, been, has died. The old man has died. You're a new creation in him. The problem is that a woman stepped into the tank. So now he's trying to pivot and he's like, okay, he's trying to figure out what he says. And so right when he baptizes, he's quoting this verse. And today we just declare that the old lady has died and he put, and then put baptizer. And so we're trying not to do that anymore. But, but this is the symbol this symbol of this old sin nature, where you're making that commitment in your life of repentance. Like, I'm going to turn away from it. I'm not going to, I don't want to live the way I've always lived. You know, in the early church, baptism, they, they did it in a really cool way. A lot of times they would go to a river, and the people who were getting baptized, they would wear these robes that were dirty and tore up and, and dingy. They would wear these robes, and when they would go down in the water, when they, as they were being baptized, as they were put underneath the water, they would baptize them to where their head would go downstream. And while they were under the water, they would allow the current to take the top robe off, and underneath was a brand new clean white robe. And then that old robe would just float down the river. That is exactly the heart of God for us. The heart of God for us is that the old sin nature would be gone forever. Whatever that is, that shame, that guilt, that condemnation, the habits, the hang-ups, the hurts, that those things would wash down the river and, you, and you, you don't go back to ever get it again. Have you ever been in a place where you just say, man, I just wish who I have been and who I am, that it would just go away. Well, guess what? Through water baptism, it's a great way to symbolize that you're making that decision, that you're going to let it go. Let it go, let it go, let it go. Huh. So you don't have to be frozen. It fits, it works. <laughs> it's stuck in the same place that you've always been. Baptism is a watery grave. Baptism is me publicly changing my relationship status. Now, if you've seen relationship status, you know what I'm talking about. On Facebook, it's like the most interesting thing that happens out there on social media. When there's the relationship status change. 
is all of a sudden, you know, you can click on this thing in a relationship with so-and-so. Or you can click on in a complicated relationship, which just means I'm in this relationship, but this other dude started texting my girlfriend that she used to date, and so we kind of not doing too good right now. It's complicated. It's real complicated. But you can, cha- you can check all these things. Well, getting water baptized is you saying publicly, I am recognizing who I am in Christ. I'm publicly declaring this is where my status is with God. And I want everyone to know the most important relationship in my life. This is where the status is. And it's you telling everyone, this is what water baptism is about. And here's the thing. Your relationship with God, this is a public faith. This is a public faith. It was a public sacrifice for you. Um, Jesus was laid bare, literally embarrassed and humiliated for our sin. It was a public sacrifice. God wants this to be a public response. And some of you may say, well, I, I just have a really private faith. Well, here's the thing. If you truly had a strong private faith, it would make some sort of public impact. If your private faith was really that strong, trust me, publicly, it would make a difference in people's lives. This is what it says in Luke 3, 21. When all the people were baptized or being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was open and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Look, if it was good enough for Jesus, I think it's good enough for us. Like if Jesus would go out of the way, here's the thing. This was the first thing that Jesus did before he ever did one day of ministry. This was the first thing that he did in obedience. The crazy thing is, it's a lot of times the first thing in our relationship with God that we don't want to do. But it says this in Matthew 3.13. Then Jesus came from Galilee to Jordan to be baptized by John. Now you could just glaze over that if you don't understand the geography involved here. Because it says he came from Galilee to Jordan. He had to walk 60 miles. Walk. 60 miles to get water baptized. He walked 60 miles to get water baptized. Most of us wouldn't walk 60 miles to get a brand new car. But he walked 60 miles. So this is establishing how important this is to be obedient in this act, in this demonstration, in this sign of covenant in relationship with God. And he demonstrated for us, he set this priority. Jesus is our example. And he's the one that set this as a personal importance in his life. In Mark 8, 38, it says, If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Cody and I, we're, we're coming up on celebrating 15 years of marriage, coming up in August. It's getting pretty serious. Uh, so, whew, yeah. <laughs> And uh, she's always pressuring me to tell her I love her. And I'm like, oh, I told you once. If I change my mind, I'll tell you. But, you know, but it, it's, it's been awesome. Uh, but imagine this. Imagine how weak. That's a joke. Somebody like, you need to tell your wife you love her. I do all the time. Trust me. Uh, but imagine how weak our relationship would be if before we're married, you know, we're engaged leading up to the wedding. By the way, women have weddings and men get married. <laughs> uh, and, and, but if we're leading up to the wedding, we're leading up to the wedding, 
If I, before we got, I went to Cody and I said, hey, baby, hey, come here. I need to tell you something. I need to make sure, make sure something's clear. Um, oh, I love you. You my boo thing. <laughs> Y'all, we ride or die, girl. <laughs> and I'm so glad that we're getting married. And I, I mean, pff, we're going to live the rest of our lives together. This is incredible. But here's the thing. I need you to keep it between you and me. Okay. Keep it on the DL. But you, my girl, I love you. Just keep it between us. Okay. So I, that ring I got you, I'm going to need you just to kind of like, you know, put it in your pocket. I'll do the same thing. It's, I'll, I'll, wear it, I'll wear it on the necklace just so it's close to my heart. But we're going to keep it between us, Okay. Now, any husband out here, you know if you told your wife that before you got married, she's going to be taking out the earrings, taking off her shoes. It's going to be like, boy, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tear you apart. Because there's no way that that would work in a strong marriage. That's why you wear a ring. Most of you in this room, you are crazy Razorback fans. How many of you guys like the Razorbacks? Okay. You're never ashamed to raise your hand. That's the first time you've ever raised your hand in church. Ever. <laughs> but you love the Razorbacks. I've seen, I've been 12 hours from here on a Florida beach. And I've seen people with Razorback tents, Razorback swimsuits, Razorback towels. Like if you even just start calling the hogs, they will set down their beer to call the hogs with you. I mean, that is that important to them. They'll do it. Y'all love the hogs. Unless they lose once or twice or three times or four times or five times or six times or eight times. Then all of a sudden you're like, fire the coach. Fire them all. Kill them. Hang them. Burn the quarterback's truck to the ground. Y'all actually did that. Crazy. And a couple years ago, everybody was calling for his job. Fire him. Move on. Fire him. Everybody except Jen, his wife. Because, see, Jen's not just a fan. She's wearing a ring. She just doesn't just wear a jersey. She's in covenant with him. At one point or another, your relationship with God has to go from a place of you being a fan of the kingdom of God and you being in covenant with him. Where you say it doesn't matter how many losses come, we are in this to the end together. Water baptism is you putting on the ring and saying, it's done, baby. I want everybody to know. I want everybody to know. I've been baptized three times in my life. The first time I got baptized is because my parents wanted me to get baptized. Honestly, it was just pressure, like my parents. And it happens that way sometimes. The second time I got baptized, I was at a summer camp, and there was a bunch of peer pressure, and some of my friends and some really cute girls were getting baptized. And I want to look super spiritual, so I went with it. I'm like, if I do this, will you think I'm a good Christian guy? I, right, you got it, girl. I'm done. I wasn't, it wasn't until I got into my 20s, and I finally realized, like, no, this is serious. This is serious. This is important. 
This is important. At one point or another, I think everybody needs to make that decision. Christianity is personal, but it can ever, ever, ever be private. Everybody needs to know. Three responses to baptism. I think God's house should celebrate. God's house should celebrate. If you're a follower of Christ, you're saved. You woke up today with a completely new opportunity. The fact that you have air in your lungs is enough to celebrate about. But I'm convinced that a lot of times, we as Christians, we don't celebrate like God would want us to celebrate. I I think in, in the word, when God was telling the Israelites so many times to do these celebrations, have this festival, do this party, all this, I think it was because God wanted the world to look at his people and say, man, those people know how to party. Those people are full of joy. Those, what are they celebrating so much, so often, in so many different ways? What, how are they able to celebrate and have so much joy and excitement without any drugs? Like they're on a spiritual high of some kind. And I think that the art of celebrating what really matters is a lost art in the church. Because here's the thing. In our lives, we will celebrate so many things. We will celebrate a touchdown. We will celebrate a dead deer. We will celebrate a one-year-old who hasn't done anything in life, but we will go all out to celebrate their one-year birthday. We will celebrate all these things. We will celebrate gender reveals, everything else. But if, if we're really honest, and all those things are great, and all those things are fine, but if we're really honest, all those things are temporary, how is it that we don't celebrate what is eternal? How is it that we don't celebrate with everything that we have when somebody says, I'm a Christ follower, and I'm going public with my decision? I think that we as a church should celebrate those kinds of things in life. Have all the other stuff, fine, but let's celebrate what really matters as well. Party. Show them that we're going to be there for them. Number two, we must understand what the Word says about baptism. Now, I'm not going to get too deep in theology, but I want to cover cover a couple things because there's always some questions around water baptism. Uh, One of the questions is, what what should be said over me? What words should be said over me when I get water baptized? Now, this is huge because there has been denominational breaks over this subject of, of the words that are said when you're water baptized. Because in the Bible, at one point, it says that people should be baptized in the name of Jesus. Okay, But at another point, it says you should be baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And people thought about this. Like they, they literally believe that if you don't have the right word said over you when you're water baptized, it doesn't count. You're still going to hell. So we want you to know that here at New Life Church, every person that we baptize, we baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in the powerful name of Jesus. Get you some of that. It's all covered. It's all covered. We'll say everything that needs to be said. And when we get to heaven, we'll find out really we shouldn't have been fighting about it all along. It really wasn't that important. But we do believe in the power of the name of Jesus. We do believe in recognizing who he is as a triune God. So we say those things. Another question would be, when should I be baptized? Well, the 27 times the water baptism is mentioned in the word. It says that they were saved and then they were baptized. They were saved and then they were baptized. Okay, so that's an important order to us because it also establishes some other things. Because some of you might say, well, I was baptized when I was a child. Does that count? Now, christenings and all that kind of stuff, man, they're, they're, they're beautiful ceremonies. They're cool. Uh, and, and the, I mean, you can, you can feel the presence of God in some of those things. But here's the deal. 
those are more about parental decisions. Because in order for baptism to mean something, the person getting baptized has to understand what they're doing. They have to have the maturity. They have a personal revelation of what it symbolizes, what it means in their life. And so here's the deal. If, if you got baptized when you were a little kid, but you didn't understand what salvation was, then you're just a wet sinner. Because until you understand what you're actually doing, and that's why every kid that gets baptized, and you'll see some kids get baptized here. They have met and talked with a pastor. A pastor sat down and just said, hey, we just want to make sure you understand the decision that you're making. Like, what does this symbolize? What does it mean? And sometimes that's tough because sometimes we'll meet a parent's like, my kid is ready to be baptized. You will, ba you will baptize my child. <laughs> and we're like, hey, easy. <laughs> Work with us. Work with us. Look, my, my son Reeves, he desperately wants to be water baptized. But here's the thing. When I, we sit down and talk to him and we ask him to explain this. Hey, do you know, what does this mean, buddy? What does water baptism mean? He's trying so hard. Like, it's, it's uh, ah, yeah, Jesus and um, God gave us things like video games. And I'm thankful. That's really good, buddy. That's great but we want him to understand. We want him to understand, but he's really, really close. In fact, it may be this next time that we have water baptism services, it may be his time, I can't wait. But we wanna make sure that they understand. Another question would be, how should I be baptized? Okay, like sprinkled, splashed, submerged, underwater, poured, double flips, slip in, you know, slide in, how do I do this? Well, the Greek word, the root word of baptism is baptizo, which means submerged, fully put under the water. So that's the method that we go with, fully submerging. How's it gonna work? We're gonna have a, a portable baptism thing up here. We're gonna set up. Um, we're gonna have cameras set up to where you can see it on the screens, every per person that's getting baptized. There'll be a little bit of space for family to come around, take pictures, that kind of thing, but, but we're gonna stay in an attitude of worship and celebration as these people get baptized. But here's the thing. We have also set it up to where we can remove every excuse that someone would have. Because there's people that are signing up to get water baptized, and it's easy to do that. You can do it through the app, whatever. Uh, Jared will help with that at the end of the service. But, but there's gonna be people that came with no intention of getting water baptized. And they're gonna leave sopping wet. But we're gonna have a change of clothes for them. We'll, we'll provide everything that they need to be baptized in, even undergarments. We will even buy underwear for you to get you water baptized. <laughs> and, and then they're gonna file up and, and every, each one of them's gonna come individually and, and we're gonna ask them questions about, hey, have you, have you declared Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? And they're gonna say yes. And then we may pray over them a little bit, just confirm that decision in them and then we're gonna baptize them. And then we as a family are gonna go nuts for every one of them as they go public. As they say, my relationship status is Christ follower forever. 
And then we as a family are going to remember. And as they get down the road and they're in a tough season, we're going to encourage them. We'll exhort them. We'll hold them accountable sometimes. Hey, man, you gave your life to Jesus. You got to love your wife as Christ loves the church. And it's going to be an awesome time. Number three, I must do it as soon as possible. Hebrews 4, 7 says this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because the God is, I think God is probably moving in some of your hearts right now like, hey, this is important. This is important. It's important that you get water baptized. But here's the thing. God is not confused about where your heart is at. Like if you, if you confess Jesus as your Lord and Savior, God's not confu- confused about that. And, and water baptism is not for salvation. Water baptism is for you to have a confirmation inside of you and for your church family to have a confirmation of the covenant. It's that outward symbol of the inward commitment that you made. And the reason why it's so important to God is because he knows how important it's gonna be for you. But if God is speaking to your heart, you'll notice that the Son has a different effect depending on the substance that it's applied to. So the same sun that can melt wax also hardens clay. It just depends on what the sun is applied to. And I just wanna encourage you to be moldable by God. Because you can be moldable by him and you can be like that wax or you can stiff arm the things of God and harden your heart. But I'd encourage you, if God's speaking to you, in two weeks, you're gonna have an opportunity. I'd encourage you to respond in obedience. By the way, obedience is not really even something you've gotta pray about. When you ask your kids to do something, they don't need to be like, hold on, Lord, is this something I really need to do? No, they need to be obedient. This is something that God has asked us to be obedient in. So don't stiff arm him. Let's respond to him. Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. You being moldable and teachable, to go public with your decision to follow Jesus means it starts with you privately making the decision to give him your life. And I want to give you that chance today. If you're here today and you've never surrendered your life to him, you've never made him your Lord and Savior, you've never confessed that you are, apart from him, a sinner, lost in your sin, you can't save yourself, you need him, and that you want to invite him to come in and and give you a new life, give you a new heart, set you free from your past, set you free from your sins, set you free from your, your shame, your guilt, Or maybe you've been in that place, but you know that you're away from him right now. You've drifted away from him for different reasons. Maybe because of shame. Maybe because you sinned and you felt like God couldn't love you anymore. Or maybe it was just lifestyle. Maybe you just got busy and got away from the things of God. Wherever you're at, today I want to give you an opportunity to come back to him. To give your life back to God. To surrender to him as your Lord and Savior. If you're here today and you know that you're ready to do that, you need to do that. Nobody looking around. 
I'd love to pray with you. Will you please put your hand up? And as soon as I see your hand, you can put it down all over this room. Got you back here. Got you there at the back. Thanks. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Got it. Got it. Got it. Anybody else? As soon as I see you, put your hand down. Got it. Anybody over here? Anybody else? Yes, got you over here. Anybody else? Anybody else? As soon as I see you, put your hand down. Anybody else? Yes, sir. Got it, bro. Thanks, man. Thanks for being bold. Anybody else? Got you there at the back. Yes, ma'am. Anybody else? I'm ready to get right with God. I need Jesus. I need him to save me. I'm going to give my life back to him today. Anybody else? Okay. For every person that just raised your hand, look, right now, right there, in your chair, you can make this private decision in your heart. Just by talking to God. You say, God, here's my life. I, I know I'm a sinner. I know I can't save myself. I believe that you sent your son Jesus to die on the cross for my sin. Thank you, Jesus. Right now, I, I want to repent, which just means, simply means that you're going to stop, you're going to turn away from living according to your own will and your own way, according to what the world wants, but you want to figure out what it means to live for him. And you're going to pursue that. And then you ask him to come and give you a new life. Surrender your life to him. Father God, I thank you for every person who raised their hand and those that, that couldn't for whatever reason, but they're, they're there in their hearts. God, I thank you that they're going to go public with this decision. They're going to do it through water baptism as soon as they can, God. But right now, God, I thank you that you're meeting them. You're setting them free. You're doing a work in their hearts and in their lives. You're healing them in Jesus' name. God, I thank you for that. We give you the glory for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. We're going to take communion together as a family before we leave today. Just a couple of things. First of all, you don't have to be a member of New Life Church to take communion with us. Um, but we do believe it's important for you to be a Christ follower. The word says not to take communion in an unworthy fashion, which also means that even Christ followers need to examine your hearts. We're a relational church, and I love getting around and around the floor and around you and high-fiving and joking around and laughing and talking about life and all that, but this is a time it's important for us to be a lot more introspective. That we're examining our hearts. We're examining our lives. For some of you, it means that you've got some unforgiveness you need to deal with. You need to release somebody. For some of you, you have an unconfessed sin in your life that you need to get real about and get honest about. Uh, whatever it may be, it's just examining your hearts, considering what these elements symbolize his body that was broken so that we can be whole, so that our emotions, our, our minds, our bodies can be healed and whole in this blood that was poured out for our sin, for the forgiveness of our sins. That this, These are important symbols of the covenant of Jesus Christ with us. So it's important that you take it seriously. The way it's going to work, you're just going to exit the left side of your row. As soon as the row in front of you is out in the aisle, file in behind them. You're gonna come around, get the elements, and you're gonna go into the other side of your row and then back to your chair. Just hold on to the elements. Hold on to the elements. We're gonna worship God together as soon as everybody has the elements. Then we'll pray and then we'll take those elements. Now, here's the thing. I'm gonna tell you now and hopefully it'll help. These are not titanium cups. They break. 
They're plastic, especially when they're empty. And when they crack, everyone in the room will hear it. So what I'm asking is that once you have taken that particular element, just hold, hold on to that cup like it's a little baby bird. <laughs> a brand new baby bird, just lightly, lightly in your hand. And we might actually get through a prayer without hearing all over the room, okay? Oh, it would help me so much. And everyone around you too, your, your neighbor will appreciate this. All joking aside, let's let God move in our hearts right now. So we take these elements, let's pray together. As soon as I'm done praying, you can come get the elements. Father God, we just come before you. Move in this moment, Lord. We examine our hearts. We stop, we slow down. We remember you, Jesus. Move now, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, come on out and start getting the elements.